The Holy Spirit is alive, and he's speaking to us today. Amen. Amen. You know, if the Holy Ghost isn't talking today, then everyone's going to hell. Amen. If he's not talking, then we're all doomed. But he is talking. He is communicating. And he is drawing men to the, to the Father. Amen. We'll see that in Scripture today. Hallelujah. I thank God for the Spirit of God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Mark or Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We'll look at some familiar passages of Scripture. As I was mentioning in first service, um, you know, God in 15 years of ministry here, uh, and it would be 15 years in April. April 2019 will be 15 years since we planted or started Anchor Faith Church here in St. Augustine. But I've been in ministry longer than that. And out of all the years, um, you know, in ministry and studying the Word and ministering the Word of God, you know, God is um, kind of packaged in me, okay? This is me, um, based upon the call in my life, the gift on my life, that typically when I preach a message, if you were to see it, all you would see is Scripture, meaning it would be, you know, whatever Scripture I'm going to, and then basically that's it. And so there would be no, you know, in-between fillers, there's no little stories in there. Uh, usually it's just like, where's he going? Well, the Holy Ghost knows where we're going. Amen? And, um, but through the years, God has given me some things a little more. And every once in a while, you know, there's some more in-depth thought that comes. And so we put those little points in between those passages of Scripture. And we've written some books out of that as a result of that. Um, but there's so much that comes by unction of the Spirit of God. Amen? And so when I save them, because I have on my, you know, uh, up in the cloud somewhere, you understand, <laughs> um, I have sermons saved all the way from uh, 2007 on. Now, I got a few in 2005, 2006, I lost them. I don't know what happened. I think I uh, went between some laptops and lost some of those. Um, but they're out there. The thing is, is if I go back to 2008, 2009 and pull up a sermon, I have to study it out to even know where I was going again. Uh, I don't write my sermons out so that I can sit up here and kind of read, you know. I don't have these little points down there, basically, that I'm like, okay, go here, say this, do this, prompt this, do this action, um, you know. Um, I don't have that kind of detail in my message because, you know, I realize you're different than first service and you're different than another congregation and you're different than a person I would walk on the street and have a conversation with, but yet all the word is applicable to everyone's life. And what it does for me, again, for my gift, uh, it allows me to be in the Spirit while I'm ministering so that I can get over into a lane just necessary for you. Amen. That I'm not so locked into just what I know through my own personal study that I can't go somewhere and realize, okay, I don't know why, but apparently someone needed that. And that's why I get these comments every once in a while where people say, you were speaking straight to me. Well, I wasn't, but God knew you were here, and he's talking to you. And because he's talking to you, he wanted to get it so specific that you wouldn't um, walk out of here thinking, well, does God even know I exist? And you're like, God knows I exist. Are you with me? You know, God knows you exist. Okay. So anyway, um, but so for me, though, it keeps it fresh, meaning if I was to go back to any of those sermons, typically I'm going to have to say, what was I saying? What was the connection here? Why did I go from that scripture to this scripture? What's the point? You know, what was there? You know, or I'd have to go and try to find that sermon that I preached and pull it back in and say, what did I say? 
You understand? But what it does, it keeps it real to me. It keeps it alive in me because faith comes by hearing, hearing not having heard. And too often we in the church, okay, if you're not born again, then you're not in the church, but you need to get in, and you'll find out soon enough how to do that. But for those of us who are in the church, you understand a lot of times we think we're okay just because we know something. Knowing something doesn't mean you're okay. Constantly keeping what you know in front of you is what's going to help you out. Are you with me? So this is why I say this often, is that you don't have to believe anything that I say. In fact, I would submit to you, do not believe it because I'm preaching it. Please do not fall into the trap and say, Pastor Earl said that. That's got to be truth. Don't do that. Go find out for yourself. Here's what I mean. Because if I went to you and say, okay, 2 plus 5 is 7. And I communicate that. And I say, let's say it together. 2 plus 5 equals 2 plus 5 equals 2 plus 5 equals. Okay. And I give, and it's a, that's a true statement. Okay. Right. Did anybody disagree with that? Okay, so 2 plus 5 is 7, but without actually you getting understanding and revelation of why 2 plus 5 equals 7, then you can go tell someone 2 plus 5 equals 7 and have no concept, literally, understanding of what you're saying, although you're saying it. And too often we get in the church and the pastor will minister and we'll go, okay, and then you'll go tell your friend what you heard on Sunday, but yet it's really not real to you. You're communicating it, and it may be absolutely correct, but it's not so correct in you that you're living your life by that response. And so this is why we say, again, don't believe what I say because I say it. Go search the Scriptures yourself. This is why the single greatest thing we do at Anchor Faith Church, at this body, is that we challenge you to read the Word for yourself. That's why you get a Bible reading plan. Maybe you haven't read the Bible all the way through. You need to. If he's your Lord, you should know what he's saying. You should commune with him, have a conversation with him through his word. You should study it Genesis to Revelation because all of it has application today. All of it. Even the prophet Obadiah has application for today. If you'll get in there and find out what he was talking about how it can apply to your life today. Amen. Yeah, we may be in a new and better covenant, but the old covenant, there's types and shadows in light of this new covenant that strengthens this new covenant we're in so we can walk it out exactly as God intended. But if you do not study for yourself, then you'll always have this casual relationship, which really means you're going to have a lot of knowledge of your Savior, but you're not going to be able to walk toe-to-toe, hand-in-hand with him because he's just an echo in your mind. You can just quote things, but you don't live things. See, there's never a dispensation that will take place. When we say dispensation, that's just a theological term for ages of different slots in what we call time of where God revealed himself to man. And those things have taken on different types based upon Man was in a dispensation with God in the garden. It was called the perfect state because man didn't know sin. God created man in his image according to his likeness. In Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 2, we call those the perfect chapters of the book, uh, of the Bible, because there was no sin in the earth, none. And man was perfect, just like God. When you get down to Revelation 21 and 22, those are perfect chapters too because all sin 
has been dealt with once and for all. Death is even thrown into the lake of fire. The devil, the false prophet, everything's done, and we get a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? Awesome. It's great stuff. But we're in between this Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 20 right now. And in there, there are different types of things that have taken place where God was dealing with man through different things. And some of those ages are shorter than others. We're in what we call the age of grace or the age of the church. Really, it's the age of the Gentiles. It's where we, who were not a people under God, became a people to God. Can I get an amen? You know, we aren't actual Israelites. We're not from the 12 tribe. Maybe you are, but I'm not. And so Christ came after me, amen, and brought me into the family. I'm this wild olive branch that got into the olive tree. Hallelujah. I've been engrafted in. Come on, are you thankful for that? Because, man, if he didn't come after me, it would only be Israel. It would have only been the 12 tribe, and I would have been rightly judged for my transgression against the crown. So he came after me. And, um, but what we learn here is that when I study, when I seek these things out, these things are always trying to connect me and my heart to God. Yeah. So in all those revealing of God to man, he's always looking at our heart. Yeah. Always. Do you understand? Man always had an accumulation of God's knowledge. He knew about God, but the minute his heart's not with him, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks probably concerning when he's Lord of your life and all of a sudden that becomes an option. When you've made him Lord or he is Lord, but yet all of a sudden he becomes an option. What takes place there? And it happened as a believer. Okay? It can happen as a believer. So... Here we are where we have to keep our heart connected. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I get concerned because we are, again, there's so much of the world and the way the world operates and the things that the world push. And the reason the world pushes it, and, and you hear it so much, is because that's their agenda. The devil wants you to get in his agenda. That's his desire. And, when you, and he's not going to tell you to do things that are obviously... Um, so glaringly um, uh, destructive for your life, they, they seem good. So that's why they're a temptation. It's like it's to your advantage, only that it's death. And so, you know, you've got to be able to discern that that's not going to lead to something positive here. Um, but your heart has to be there, and the world has been pushing for, for decades now probably close to over a century, just in our own nation, that the more educated we are, the better we will be in society. And the reality is we have a lot of educated Christians, and they are, um, they are a hindrance to the body. An educated Christian is hindrance to the body. Now, what do I mean by that? The Bible never told us to educate the body. He told us to equip the body. So again, in order for you to be equipped, you're going to have to learn something. But it's not that you stay with what you know. It's that you actually apply what you know. And there's a difference. How many of you know John 3.16? The difference, though, is do you actually apply it? There's many scriptures we can know. How many do you know of the account of David and Goliath? 
right? Okay, we got some people who know some things. All right. So, but is there, do you apply the principles laid out in that, in that biblical account? How many of you know about the account of the woman at the well? Yeah, we have knowledge. Now, you may not be able to quote it chapter and verse, but just because you know it's in there, does it mean you're lit? Is your heart connected? Because here's the thing. If your heart's not connected to what you know, then you run the risk of being a Pharisee. See, God was very clear when he spoke to Samuel, when he was looking for a king to represent his nation. And Samuel went to Jesse's house looking for the next king because Saul had fallen. And so when he saw the firstborn son, he assumed, since he looked a lot like Saul in some aspects, he said, well, this must be the king. And the Lord arrests Samuel and says, listen, God does, is not like man. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He's always looking at your motive. Do you know God knows why you're here today? Him knowing why you're here is more important than what you know about him. Him knowing why you're in church today, he's looking at more than how much he knows you know about church. Oh, I'm preaching. Again, if we only come because you're like, well, I, I should go. Well, you should go. That's true. But if you're only going just because you know it's truth, but you really would rather do something else, then God knows even though you're personally present, he knows you're sitting in the services in vain. He's not like, woohoo! I'm so excited Marcus is here. Whippee, yeah, he made it to church. He's not doing that. If Marcus's thought process this morning, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to sing again today because, you know, I have to. Seriously. And he's on pitch, and he sings great and does all that singing and jumps around, you know, because, man, you know, whatever, let's, let's finish this thing out. The whole time God's looking at how's he really on the inside. Because that's what he's examining. And the Lord would say stuff like this, son, it might have been better you just stay home. If all you're doing is singing and jumping around just so somebody could notice you. You understand what I'm saying? But now, if he shows up and says, I'm here because I love daddy. I love my dad. I love his body. I love the church. I love his people. I love to worship in his presence. I love to sing his praises. I love to uh, bring people into the presence of God through worship. I love to be passionate and demonstrate that. I just want to sing. I want the anointing in my life to flow out and into the people. Then dad says, I'm so glad he showed up because I got to spend time with him today. See, this is what's so awesome about God, and this is what Jesus dealt with. When he came, he says, you've heard the ancients say, thou shalt not, right? Which means you have knowledge of this. You know this. And in fact, you know it, and you are doing it in principle, meaning you're doing it in an action, but on the inside, I see something else. Hallelujah. God always looks at the heart because that's where you really exist. (laughs) 
God is not man. You can't fake him out. God's not. You mean you really didn't want to be here the whole time? Gosh, I thought you really loved me. God's not faked out by anything we do. God knows everything. You're right. We say this all the time. You know, we hear these statements, and it is absolutely truth more than what we even understand when we say it. Well, the Lord knows my heart. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He knows exactly what your motivation is, why you do what you do, what your passion is, how much you put him first. Or is he just somewhere on the list? Now, sometimes this is because of how we've learned about Jesus. And I understand that. Sometimes we're passionate about Jesus based upon what we know. But sometimes what we know about him can be wrong. That's why we have to be ever learning, ever growing. That's why uh, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 3, he said to the Pharisees, to the scribes, he says, why do you transgress the commands of God for the sake of your traditions? In essence, you got this mindset about God that you think is more holy than what God's actually saying. Again, that's why he said, you've heard the ancients say, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if on the inside of your heart you saw a woman and you lusted after her, you've committed that sin. Even though physically you may not have performed the action, but if you've just wanted it, if your heart's like, bro, I would love to be with that man's wife, then you have been with that man's wife. I ain't been with that man's wife. The Lord's saying, you've been with that man's wife? And and you are... Guilty. Oh, it's quiet. I don't know why a pen's dropping right now. Because <laughs> no matter where you are, there you are. And no matter where you go, God is. Because there's nowhere you can go that God's not. So let's just be real with God. I mean, let's don't put on any shams. Let's just go ahead and be real with God and say, You're, I, you got all of me. This ain't a game. This is, this is life. This is what this is. I mean, in you, I live and move and have my being, man. I mean, everything about me is yours. Hallelujah. But a lot of times, the reason why we get into these ways of responding to God is because of how we viewed God or how maybe even Jesus was preached to us. You know, for years, this kind of bothered me. Uh, When I say bother me, I mean, I just assumed it was one way, and then the more I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation every year, constantly going through it, reading the Scripture, reading it, getting context, understanding that God's the same, man. He's really just this whole thing's this all together. I mean, you know, the law part is not done away with in the context that we still don't do parts of the law. We just do it through faith in Christ. Are you with me? say, you do the law? No. What I'm saying is I don't live by the law. I live by faith. But the law said don't kill somebody, and I don't kill people. That ain't done away with. If it was, I'd kill all kind of people. (laughs) Seriously. Grace covered it. Shut up. You're done. Let's go to the next person, man. I mean, (laughs) seriously, think about this. We talk about the laws done away with, yet we've not done away with Thou shalt not kill. Come on. Right. Come on. But yet we've done away with tithing. Oh. 
Tithing actually wasn't a part of the law. If you actually read your Bible, you realize that's not even the issue anyway. But again, that's how you've been trained. And if you never read the Bible for yourself, you'll hold on to something that you think is truth that's actually not. Amen. Okay. I'm not here to kill anybody. I love everybody. I'm, I, and I know I'm being extreme. I'm just saying you can get off when you, when, if you don't stop and say, now, why do we believe that? Can I just sit down for a minute and be your pastor for a bit? Do you really think about why you believe what you even believe? Let this be thought-provoking for a moment, okay? <laughs> you know, let's just don't come just because we're filling time. Let's call be come because there is a king of glory. There is someone to serve. There's someone to yield our life to. There is instruction that we are to receive from. There's someone who literally exists and sits at the right hand of the Father right now. His name is Jesus, and he's alive and alive forevermore. Church is not something I try. It's something I am. I am the church. I'm a part of the body. It's my part. It's what I do. It's where I, I exist. I'm doing the part he's called me to be. I'm only doing my part. You do your part, Richie, I'll do my part. Thank God we do our part. Because when we all do our part, we do something awesome. Just like that defense you ran yesterday. It was awesome, man. I mean, I was watching for swarming the ball yesterday. No score, right? I mean, they were like taking them down. It was awesome. I just want to shake your hand, bro. It was so great out there on the field. I'm like, that's my man right there teaching that defense, man. I mean, they were swarming that ball, but it was a collective effort. Linebackers doing their part, defensive linemen doing their part, defensive end doing their part, cornerbacks and safeties doing their part. They're all doing their part, swarming the ball, bam. It's very significant. We do our part, but they have to learn their part, right? We have to tell them, what are you doing? What are you doing getting out here? Push them inside, push them inside. Don't let them get around to the outside. He's instructing, he's giving instruction. We have no problem with this. You were there, you see this stuff going on. I mean, and they ain't all, the coaches ain't always nice either. What are you doing over there? Right? <laughs> and you're as a parent, you're like, that's right. You better get over there. You better get over there. But then pastors say, what are you doing over there? I'm leaving. I'm going to another church. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> you only letting the guy score on you. You only going to lose. You only going to get hurt. I'm only trying to get you to win in life. You let another man yell at your child. <laughs> I love it. Amen. So let's study. Amen. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's know that there's things about God that we think we know we can learn more about. We can be strengthened about what we know and then grow even more in appreciation of elements we know about God. Because there's still so much to discover about our king. Wow. So much to discover. Amen. I'll stand before a holy God one day. I'll stand before Jesus the king. I'll come into his presence boldly, and I'll bow before him. And I'll say, Jesus, my Lord, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess.
that point, I believe he'll say, stand up. And I'll stand in his presence because I'm righteous. And he'll begin to talk to me about my life, about my purpose, about this book he wrote about me and compare my life to it before the foundations of the world. And when I stand before him for you, he'll say, you told Brian, you told him. Now, whether Brian did it or not, that ain't on me. What's on me is, did I tell him? Did I tell him, even when I knew what I tell him may risk our relationship? So that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, that I did not withhold the full counsel of God. Hallelujah. That I'd be bold enough to say, what are you doing? Where are you at? I do a lot of it on a general sense just from the platform, but I could get very specific. I could start walking through and saying, let's talk about what's going on in your life right now. But we don't do that because love covers a multitude of sin. Don't ever underestimate or, let's put it this way, don't miss, don't misunderstand that God's long-suffering for you means he accepts you. That in your rebellion and in your running and doing it your way and your heart's not in it, that God's like, I'm okay. Man, he was long-suffering. But there'll come a time that he'll say, long-suffering's got to give way to the penalty of disobedience. I mean, we see this. This is how Old Testament applies to today. Long-suffering with Israel, long-suffering with Israel, long-suffering with Israel, long-suffering. Finally, he's like, well, we're done. What I said I would do if you did not do your part has come upon you. So he started sending prophets. Say this, but they're not going to repent. It's okay because I'm bringing judgment. I'm only giving them what they wanted. Only giving them what they wanted. See, this is what you got to learn about God in the Old Covenant is that he didn't give them because he was trying to teach them something. He gave to them what they wanted. But even in getting what they wanted, his mercy was there if they would repent. So when famines came and wars came and they were pulled away because they wanted to live without him, if they would cry out to him, he would come back with his mercy and say, I'll reestablish you. I love you. I love you. Just, just, just do what I say because life's in my word. Say, life's in his word. So with that being said, I've got to remind a few things. Number one, the Bible is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. Okay? The Bible's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. And then the next thing I want to say is this. Jesus, or this whole thing concerning the word of God, is not about going to heaven. It's not about going to heaven. Now, let me just stop for a moment here because, you know, I hear it in the spirit. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's currently in heaven, and you'll be in heaven. But the goal is not heaven. The reason Jesus came is so you could become a child of God. 
And if you actually take time to read the Bible, really, seriously, take time to read the Bible, you'll see there's this massive narrative of God wanting to come to us. When he made man in the original intent, in Genesis chapter 1, notice it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let him come live with me here in heaven. Because he's so awesome, he's my crowning creation, I want to be with him. Didn't do that. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, over all the cattle, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, over all the earth. Man was to have dominion on the earth. And God wasn't like, now I can't wait till Adam dies so he can come and be with me in heaven. In fact, Adam would never die if he'll do one thing. He said, Adam, you can eat from any tree of the garden, any of them. They're all yours. You can have them. They're good. They're yours. But there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat from it. For the day you eat from it, you will surely. So the question we say is this. If Adam had never eaten a fruit, where would he be today? He'd be right here on planet Earth in the garden. So in essence, Adam wasn't saying, oh, Lord, I just want to get to heaven. The Lord says, oh, Adam, I'm coming down and going to be with you today. Because you understand God is where? Isn't this crazy? We all believe that God is, what is that word for the theologian? Omniscient. Is that it? Omniscient. Omnipresent. He's everywhere. Like, we're going to be closer to him where his throne is. I mean, that's like me saying the, the air is better over here. Oh, yes, way better over here. Think about it. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We've, we've conceived in our minds, we've allowed religion in our minds to say, it's only the best in heaven. Now, it is stripped of sin environment, yes, but you understand the sin environment doesn't stop the presence of God. For if it did, Jesus could have never came. Jesus wrapped, came down in this planet with all this debauchery, all of this sin, all of this wickedness, all of his immorality, all of its idolatry, clothed himself just like us and walked on the planet and never sinned one time. And the glory of God was with him. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. Jesus never had a problem walking on this planet feeling like he was disconnected from dad. There was only one moment in his life that he knew dad ain't going to be with me. And that's when he was on the cross and he took on our sin so we could take on his. He wasn't going like, oh, I can't wait to go back home. He was like, dad, you're with me. Here you are. Let's go. What are we going to do today, God? Let's. And Jesus knew it was so profound, he said this. Now listen, he would say it before it could even take place in people's lives to the level it can take place in people's lives today. Get this little nugget, man. He said, now listen, when you pray, you pray like this. Our Father. Notice, it's more about you being a child of God than you going to heaven. Say, our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom, your kingdom come. Notice Jesus said, pray this, that dad's kingdom would come. Your will be on, on. God is so impassioned to get his manifest presence and all that heaven holds in the earth through his kids. Wow. Wow. Am I excited about being with him present in the... Yes, why? Because it is far better than the sin that I see and that I have to look at and that you have to cast off, but... To say I'm going to be closer to God, he's in me. The third person of the Godhead bears witness with my spirit. I am a child of God, and I talk with him, and he converses with me, and he speaks to me, and he empowers me, and he pulls his health cure system into my body, and he brings his provision to me, and he brings his joy to me, and he brings his, his uh, you see what I'm saying? All the benefits of the kingdom manifest while I'm on the earth. Not one I have to wait. Well, I can't wait till we get there. Amen. Sure, the ultimate is when sin's dealt with, we never see it again. But that's something that has no hold on me anymore anyway. I've been redeemed from the law of sin and death. But I am in a new law. This is what people miss. If you read Romans, it says you've been redeemed from the law of sin and death, and now you are, are in the law, the law of spirit and life. You know, there's a law. That means obey what the Holy Ghost says. Because you're a child of God, and those who are children of God, these are led by the Spirit of God. And the law of that is, is when the Spirit speaks to your spirit, you obey. And you don't obey because I have to. You obey because I willingly want to. And it is absolutely beneficial for myself and for life to exist around me. Amen. My spirit man longs to obey what dad says. So it's not about going to heaven. It's about becoming children of God. Matthew 6.33 says it this way. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Luke 21 or 12, verses 31 and 32 is similar. And you understand, Matthew lets us know the position that the kingdom should take in our heart. (laughs) The position should take where? In our heart. Again, and God knows where it's positioned. Luke then just says, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Then look at verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has what? Chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give you his kingdom. And you know, he's not waiting for you to get it when you're up there with him. He wants you to experience it now. Jesus clearly said, I believe it's Luke 17, where he said, look, the kingdom of God is not here or there, but it's within you. Luke 17, 21, if I'm not mistaken, says it's within you, meaning the kingdom and the way it operates and its, its, its functionality is available to you right now in the spirit and the authority associated with his kingdom. Amen. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, the works that I do, 
What did Jesus preach? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what was the works he was doing? He was doing the work of the kingdom of God. The works that I do, even greater works will you do. Well, how can you do the works that Jesus did? Because you're submitted to his kingdom. You're submitted to his lordship. You're following his spirit. You're doing what he says in this earth. Jesus' works were not in heaven. They were down here. What did Jesus say? If I cast out a devil by the finger of God, then you know the kingdom is in your midst. Wow. The authority of this place reigns here. Amen. And he said to us, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you receive. Freely hold on to until you get to heaven. There's not a demon to cast out in heaven. There's not a person to raise from the dead in heaven. There's not a person sick in heaven. So all of that is for now. But you can't do none of that outside of the authority of the kingdom of God. Because God's trying to bring heaven to earth through his citizens, through his children. Hallelujah. What the Bible say? The Bible says that the minute we confess Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are transferred from the domain, that's the authority and power of darkness, into, say into, into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is in Colossians chapter 1. Well, when do you get into the kingdom of his beloved son? Because the minute I made Jesus the Lord of my life, I came out of the devil's stronghold. Now, I'm not in purgatory. Earth is not purgatory, this place in between the domain of darkness and the eventual kingdom of his beloved son, which is heaven. You would have to believe you're in a purgatory. You're stuck in the balance of somewhere. No, the minute you were born again, you became a new creature in Christ. The old passed away. Behold, all things became new. Then the Holy Spirit came inside you and bears witness with your spirit. You are a child of God. Hallelujah. And that's so much more significant than where am I going to go when I die? Because if you're a child of God, where are you going to go when you're going to die? I mean, that's like my children when they live with me. Come, and I can say the address now because I don't live there anymore. When we moved here and we bought a house at 619 Segovia Road, you can go by and see our old home. We don't live there anymore. (laughs) But anyway, when we lived there, my kids, (laughs) they were my children. They didn't have to ask. They knew where home was. That was just part of being in my house. Are we going to go to 619 Segovia Road today? Are we going to go to 619 Segovia Road today? Are we going to go to 619 Segovia? I can't wait to go to 619 Segovia Road. We go to 619 Segovia Road, not anymore, but we did. And my kids didn't think about it. Why? Because if they were with me, they were at my house. It comes with me. What was more significant is what came with my name. Because they weren't seeking the place to live as much as, Dad, do we have permission for? Dad, can I? They were, 
seeking my way in order for the things that we would authorize to take place. It was never about, can I live with you today? They didn't have to worry about what they were going to eat, what they were going to drink, or what they were going to wear. Because I would provide. Then they got in faith about what they were going to wear because maybe their choice of wearing was different than my choice of what I'd buy. It's a pair of shoes, man. It's okay. It's all good. At least you feel right. Dad, I would really like. And then I would demonstrate love. What, what, what do you want? Okay, shoes are good. Okay, but which one do you want? Okay, let's have a conversation. Because you know when it's all said and done, doesn't matter whether it's this one or that one because for me, don't be identified with what's on it as much as that you have it because I don't care which one it is. But if you're identified by what you're wearing on the outside, not who you're on the inside, now we got a problem. But I have no problem with you wearing the best as long as you know who you are the best on the inside. So they could be confident in a no-name brand as much as they can be in a, reg in a name brand because they knew who they were. And when I knew who they were, I had no problem. And when I knew they knew who they were, I had no problem giving them things that they didn't identify with, though the world identifies with. Hallelujah. Hey, man, I love second service, man. Y'all take me some places that I've never been before. <laughs> Hallelujah. So he's, he wants to gladly give us the kingdom. Uh, let me say a couple things here, and then we'll close. Amen? So because... This Bible is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring, and it's not about going to heaven. It's about becoming a child of God. Then we need to understand some principles that are associated with the kingdom, all right? Because I really want us to take some time to dive into all of us, because for some of us, again, the reason we would pick up grave clothes is because we forgot the value of our Lord, and we forgot what Lord means. And I'm going to tell you right now, the world loves Jesus as Savior. The world does. There's no one on the planet that would not accept Jesus as Savior if all they could do is accept him as Savior. Everyone would do it. And many have done just that. But acceptance of Savior doesn't get you born again. We'll talk about this. It's not those who believe he died on the cross and rose from the grave alone and say, you saved me from my sin. That makes you a child of God. It's that you believe in your heart that he died, rose from the grave, and you confess him as Lord. And if you don't know what Lord is, then how do you have faith in a word you don't know? And then how are you living it out? Because many come to the altar like Esau in tears. The Bible says, Esau came before me in tears, yet and sought for repentance and couldn't find it. There have been many crying altar calls of no one being changed, but feel sorry Plenty of people who feel sorry. In fact, you talk to many people on death row, a lot of them are sorry. Every time they do it, they're sorry. 
but they're really not converted. They do not change. And there's a difference between being sorry and becoming someone new. So again, Savior Jesus, the world wants why? Because what's the message of saving Jesus? He died for all the world's sin. His blood is taken care of it once and for all. That you know, if you would just acknowledge him and, 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 receive, and acknowledge his blood, then you, all your sins are gone. It's as if you never did it. When you die, you go to heaven. Well, I'll take that because no matter what I do, his blood covers it. I go to heaven, I'm good. I mean, who wouldn't want a blank check? You could do whatever you want to do with, and yet you get to go somewhere. But Jesus says, in order for my blood to be applied to your life, there's another word that goes into play because this is who I am, and I am this to everyone, whether they accept what I did as a Savior or not. And that is Lord. And Lord means supreme in authority. And I think this is the greatest thing about the kingdom of God is it literally gives us the perspective of Lord as God originally intended it. Because it's very clear and it's empowering. It opens up your whole life when you recognize just how Jesus is Lord. So the first principle we want to look at this morning is the kingdom principle of kings. All right? Just a few more minutes and we'll close. So the kingdom principle of kings, do you know Jesus is a king? Come on, do y'all know he's a king? Have you not read in the word that he's the king, king of the Jews? In fact, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, did somebody tell you about me? Did you learn this on your own? Then he later on went and says, my kingdom's not of this world, meaning my kingdom don't operate like this world. My kingdom, he has one. He has one. Okay? He said, I, for this reason, I was sent to preach the kingdom of God. Amen. He says, you say correctly, Pilate, that I am a king. In John chapter 18, starting around verse 33, going to 37. So Jesus is a king. You understand, king is a position of government. And though in the United States we've been in a democracy and we hear the separation of church and state, you understand the state of the church is the kingdom. Again, Isaiah 9, 6, this is in your Bible. If you read it yourself, you'll be shocked at this word. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, A child will be born, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Yeah. Not religion. Come on. Come on. The government. What well, government? It's the kingdom. Yeah. And then verse 7 says, There'll be no end to the increase of his government. Or of peace. Do you know I have everlasting peace even in a troubled world right now? Whoo, glory to God. Why? Because God is my peace. His word is my peace. His word cannot fail me. So he's a king. So the kingdom principle of kings is this. The king is the ultimate source of authority in the kingdom. And through this authority establishes his kingdom. His word is everything. Have we not read things about God's word? What do we know about God's word? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Something significant about his word. He said, I have placed my word even above my name. He said, my word will not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which it was sent to do. Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, where the word of a king is... There's power. There's authority. Jesus said, permit it at this time so that all righteousness may be fulfilled. I only do what dad says. 
because his word doesn't fail. He said, not one dot or tittle from the law will pass away till it's fulfilled. He said, do you think I've come to abolish the law? No, I, I have come to fulfill it. In essence, he says this, I come to, it literally means this, I came to tighten it up. Right? I come to tighten it up. Me, and you know why he tightened it up? Because back on this one, <sighs> it was easier for you to not do something and nobody know your motive. But Jesus says, I'm going to know your motive of why you do what you do and make sure you're doing it in righteousness. So it's not about the physical not doing. It's the are you willing and obedient to do it. Are you have a willingness to do it. I'm going to examine your heart all the way through this deal. Y'all don't mind if I get rid of that. Dude. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right? But that's what he says. I came to tighten it up. That's why I said, you've heard it say, I say, I'm coming after the whole motive. I'm going to give the ability from the inside to live this thing, not externally. And the first place it happens is in the next principle called the kingdom principle of lordship. See, lordship is all true kings are personally legal owners of property, territory, or their domain. Another word for owner is lord. In our nation, we typically hear landlord. If you rent a place, well, that's my, my landlord. And what's the landlord responsible for? For whatever's outlined in your lease. And typically, it's things, you know. There's certain things that they'll do. You don't have to be personally responsible. That's their responsibility. Well, what is Jesus' responsibility when he's the Lord of your life? We'll talk about it. Can't do it today. But I'm telling you right now, you want him to be Lord of your life. Because let me just define this word Lord, and we're going to close, okay? I won't be able to go as far as, as I did in first service. That's okay. But I want to define this word, Lord, and it comes from Romans chapter 10. Let's look at verse 9. I'll just go with that verse so I can define it for you, and then we'll close. Romans 10, 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord. The word Lord means this. It means supreme in authority. It means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding, master, Lord. The word supreme literally means this, highest in rank or highest in authority. Is Jesus literally the highest in rank in your life? Jesus came to save the world. He's provided for everyone. But in order for his saving grace to be applied to your life, he must be Lord. Lord means supreme in authority. That means he has to take first in everything. Now, let me connect the scripture for you. Jesus said this. They said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, you know, it's to love the Lord your God with, with what? Mm. 
That's a very powerful word. With all what? Your heart. And he doesn't stop there. Now, when we read Romans 9 and 10, we get this thought process that all we have to give Jesus is our heart. That if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. No, what that means is, is that if you'll have faith in what you could not see, but believe that it happened, that over 2,000 years ago when we weren't here, Jesus came as a man because it took a man to redeem what Adam lost. And Jesus redeemed it because he emptied himself of his, his glory, became God in the flesh as a man, and took back the dominion that the devil took from or stole from Adam. And so we believe that he laid his life down on a cross. He shed his blood. And what we did not see is that after he was in the grave for three days, the Holy Ghost went and grabbed him, pulled him out, uh, took him through Jerusalem, showed him to people for a period of time. Then he went on up into heaven, took his own blood, poured it out on a mercy seat that literally exists in heaven. There was a copy of it down here on earth within the tabernacle and the temple, but the one, there's another one up in heaven. He poured it out on it, and once and for all, all of sin that's ever been committed from Adam to the last person who would ever disobey God is taken care of. And I believe that event took place even though I don't see it. I know it. I'm firmly persuaded he did that. But Jesus said, if you're going to love me, you got to you got to come this way, his greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Now, that's powerful because it's not your heart you're giving to Jesus. You know what else you give to Jesus? Your mind. In essence, everything I think I know, God, now I submit to you. I'm not as smart as I thought. And anything I think I know, I got to get it in perspective to who you are. Because if it's not there, it's off. Yeah. Then you know what else it means? It means this, your soul. It means I can't let any emotional stuff rule me anymore. I can't let my emotions rule me. I can't let hurts of my past rule me. I can't let the thoughts of other people and what they said about me when I was a child rule me anymore. I submit it to you, and I, but I let the way I feel be a reflection of what you say about me. Then there's this other thing embedded within the mind and the will or the soul. It's your will, which means not my will, but your will. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ, which means I do what you tell me to do. I was in the military. I understand the concept that when the one who's in authority over me says, attention, you get there. Whether you agree with it or not, it's irrelevant. And I get in agreement with it because to get out of agreement is a problem. Snap to attention, do the command, here I am. And you understand, when I got in the military, I wasn't drafted. I voluntarily said, and when you come into the kingdom of God, you voluntarily say with your heart, Jesus is my Lord, which means you're submitting to a commanding officer who loves you, cares for you, and knows more about your life than you know about your own life, knew about it before you were ever born and wants you to discover it. 
And then the last thing he said is with all your strength, which means don't give all your time and all your effort to your job and you can't come and be with the Lord. Well, I would read the word, but I'm tired because, you know, I got to work all day tomorrow. Why are they getting your strength? They should get your influence, but not your strength. Your best, best effort should be for the body of Christ. Should be for the body of Christ. So when Sunday comes around and you hear the, the Holy Ghost say, don't forget, sake yourself, the assembling of yourself, and your body says, I'm tired, you say, hey, body, you're not my Lord. You don't, get it, you don't tell me I'm tired. You may be tired, but you're going to get strong because in my weakness now I'm going to get strong. I'm going to get in the car and go because my king has something to say to me. I want to be in his presence. I want to be with his family. I want to be around his instruction. I want to grow. And you make it submit to the lordship of Jesus. And if we did this on all those levels, this place couldn't contain the people who have already come through. If he was Lord, is he Lord of your life? Is he supreme in authority?